You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 18. This morning we're going to read verses 1 through 15, and that'll be our our, our, those verses will be the verses under consideration this morning. Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as, you've, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf and tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them and stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? Abraham Abraham said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Heavenly Father, we do ask that, Father, you'd be pleased to bless us this morning, Father, and give to us eyes and hearts of understanding as we look to this passage. Father, take us into the passage, and Father, we ask that you would instruct us as as to your intentions of this passage, why you've given us this story, why you've recorded it for um, our edification. Oh, Father, we pray that not only would you teach us, but you would also shape and mold us after the teaching that, that you give to us, O oh Father, that we would find ourselves instructed, maybe even challenged, but Father, we would find ourselves made more and more in the likeness of Christ as we undergo these things. Father, we look to you in Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Well, it's been a little while, hasn't it, since we've been in Genesis this morning, we we pick up our, our study of Genesis, picking up where we left off. And because it's been so long, I mean, the whole season of Advent, we, we took a, a break uh, from Genesis. A review is certainly in order. And verse 1 actually will really provide us a wonderful springboard for that review. If you look at verse 1, notice the word Lord and the Lord. There's something peculiar about that, isn't there? I've pointed it out before. But it's been a while since I pointed out. What do you notice about the word Lord in our English translations there? 
it's all capitalized, isn't it? And you've heard me say many times, what is that? What are the, what are the English translators saying to us in capitalizing uh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? What, what are the English translators showing us? They're showing us that what's being translated is the word Yahweh. That's what's being shown here. Yahweh. Now, why is that important? Well, we're being told in the first verse, we're being told right here that it is indeed an appearance of the Lord, that the Lord is appearing. However, I think we have very good reason to believe that Abraham doesn't know that yet. And I think we'll see that as we go through. Uh, here we are told, Moses, the author of, of Hebrews. Are you okay, Donnie? You all right? I don't want to draw attention to you, but you okay? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. As long as you're all right. I didn't want to draw attention to you, but I want to make sure you're okay. Um, I haven't said too much about this. Here, the, here Moses, the author of Genesis Moses is pointing out to us that indeed it is the Lord who is appearing to Abram. And we're told that he appears to him by the oaks of Mamre. See that? that if, if you're like me and you read your Bible, these are one of those phrases that's kind of easy to skip. The oaks of Mamre. And you think, what in the world are the oaks of Mamre? But you just keep reading and you never really know what the oaks of Mamre are. And I don't think in the course of the study of Genesis that I've really ever explained just exactly what that is. But this is at least the third time that we have seen it in our study of Genesis. And it provides us with a wonderful springboard to kind of review the order of events here. If you just turn in your Bibles back to chapter 12, and let's just do a really quick summary of what has been happening with Abraham since he was called out of his homeland. If you go to chapter 12, there you see the Lord gives a, a, summons Abraham, uh, whose name is Abram at this point, and I'll go back and forth between Abram and Abraham, and I'll tell you that I'm doing it intentionally, but I'm not doing it intentionally. I've been saying, it took me forever to get used to saying Abram, and now his name's changed. Now I can't get, quit saying Abram. And I'm, uh, so uh, if I say Abram, I say Abraham, same guy, okay? <laughs> same guy. Uh, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. And then he gives these promises. And we've been looking at these promises. He said, I'll make, a, I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. Make your name great. You'll be a blessing. At the end of verse 3, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. All of the families of the earth. And here we have seen these promises stated in many ways as we've gone through uh, the texts. And uh, the, at the heart of this uh, promise is the promise of a son. And what does Abraham do? Verse 4, he sets out as the Lord uh, told him, and he brings Lot, his nephew, with him. And no sooner do they head into the land of Canaan, and what happens? They're met with a famine. And that's, of course, a lesson for us when we embark in the life of faith. We don't go very far before, guess what? We run into troubles. You know, that whole message that turn everything over to Jesus and everything's going to be rosy for you is not biblical. It's hardly biblical. Uh, no, they find themselves in a famine. And here we see Abram very young in his faith at this point, taking matters in his own hands. And he goes down into Egypt in order to escape that famine. This is not one of his most admirable moments here, is it? But I pointed out to you, and I think, it, I think it's important that we remind ourselves of something that Abram does here. Uh, as Abram approaches Egypt, he looks to his wife and he says, Oh, Sarah, you're very beautiful. Now, if that's all he said, this would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Uh, ladies, 
That would be wonderful, right? But what comes after that, not so good, is it? When we get down to Egypt, tell everybody you're my sister. Now, why is, it, why is Abram doing that? Because he's streetwise. That's what we might call him today. He's street smart. He's streetwise. He realizes when he gets down around Egypt, okay, there's going to be people down there who want to advance themselves, who may put eyes on Sarah because she is indeed very beautiful. And they might put eyes on her and they might desire to take her to Pharaoh so that she can be incorporated into his harem and that she might be married to him as husband and wife. Uh, Abraham fears this as he goes to Egypt and his fears are, are valid because what happens as they get down to Egypt? Well, it's exactly what Abraham thought would happen. She gets carted off into, uh, into Pharaoh's harem and, and is married to Pharaoh. And of course, Lord, the Lord intervenes there at the end of chapter 12. And Pharaoh learns by God's intervention that Sarah is actually uh, married to Abram. And Pharaoh is furious and he throws them all out of Egypt. They, they just get thrown out of Egypt. So now here we've got Abram and Lot. Abram's herdsmen, Abram's retinue, Lot's retinue, kicked out of Egypt. They go up into the land of Canaan. They're not up there very long in, in chapter 13 when they, the, the land just, just couldn't support them. They've grown to the point where the land just simply cannot support them any longer. They begin to quarrel. Abraham jumps in and says, listen, let's not, let's not be quarreling. Verse 8, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. And basically, in verse 9, uh, Abram says, listen, Lot, let's separate ourselves. You look to the left or to the right. Wherever you, you choose a land for yourself. You make the first choice. You go where you want. You go where you will, and I'll, I'll choose what's left behind. And, of course, Lot, and this is going to become significant when we get to chapter 19, Lot looks at the luscious valley. He looks at the luscious valley, looking really through ambitious and worldly lenses. He sees the luscious valley down in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's where he takes his, his household and his family. And uh, Abram is left really to, uh, uh, to settle. And if you look at verse 18, uh, Abram moves his tent and came and settled by what? The oaks of Mamre. Okay, so we see Abram's been here before, hasn't he? Uh, this is a place where he has settled. Now, we still don't know much about the Oaks of Mamre yet uh, until we get to chapter 14. Now, in chapter 14, Lot gets himself in a terrible mess. He's down in this wicked city, and uh, the, these folks had found themselves in, uh, really in subordination to, uh, to uh, some powerful kings, one by the name of Kedar Laomer. They quit paying tribute and taxes. They get him all upset, and he decides to come down and he decides to ravish the, the towns, the cities, and, and take all the people and carry all the goodies off. And that's exactly what he does. He could, him with three other powerful kings, they come down and they, they ransack the land. And um, we're told in verse 13 that one, uh, one escapes and comes to Abram the Hebrew, who's living by where? He's living by the Oaks of Mamre. Now here's where we figure out what this is all about. The Oaks of Mamre. Okay, Mamre is an Amorite. Do you see that in verse 13? He's an Amorite, and he is the brother of Eschol and Aner. And we're told here that these men were allies of Abram. Here, Abram has made friends. He's got allies here. 
And we're also told that these, these three also accompany Abraham in his battle against Kedar Lomer. And we know this because if you look at towards the end of chapter 14, after Abraham is victorious and he brings the people back to Sodom, he brings the, the goodies back to Sodom. In verse 22, the king of Sodom comes and he's, he basically, um, uh, or verse 20, what's it, 21, the king of Sodom uh, says to Abraham, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. And Abram in verse 22 said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. Verse 24, I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eskel, and Mamre take their share. So these men put themselves in harm's way uh, with Abram to go after these, uh, these uh, four kings. Uh, now, if we go back to chapter 18, there we find Abraham is encamped. Where is he encamped? By the oaks that belong to one of his allies, one of his friends, Mamre. And really, I mean, there's a sermon right here. It's not one I'm going to preach this morning, but let me just whet your appetite a little bit. It would probably go something like this. Abraham is a holy man. And holy men and holy women are a blessing to everyone around them, aren't they? They're a blessing to everyone around them. If, you know, if, if, a, a holy person in the factory is a blessing to everyone in the factory. You know, a holy person down in the pottery would be a blessing to everyone around them. A holy person in the office. I mean, wherever you go, a holy person in the gym, a holy person at the water cooler. Um, is a blessing. And God, he, he, blesses, he, he blesses this to the degree that here, Abram, who owns no property in the land, has a place to stay. It's really important. The oaks of Mamre was probably a large grove of trees that are very oak-like. I'm not really into the derivation and all these Latin names of trees and stuff that you'll hear people quote sometime. I wouldn't know what I was talking about if I rattled all that off. But I do know in the original language, these trees are referred to as terebins, and they're like oak trees, or maybe they're a species of an oak tree. I don't know that, but that's not what's important. What's important is they have large leaves and they provide shade. That's what's important for us to see here. You know, it might not seem like it today, although it is, it is unseasonably warm right now, but we know that it's going to get cold, and we know it's going to be cold for a while, but in a short period of time, uh, it's going to warm back up, and we're going to get these, you know, the weatherman's going to be issuing these things called heat advisories. It happens every year, doesn't it? And around here, when the temperatures get in the 90s, they start, even the high 80s, they start issuing heat advisories, especially if the humidity is a certain way. Like you have the bare temperature, then you have the real feel. You know, the temperature only tells part of the story. What's the humidity like? What are the other factors uh, all about? And, you know, how, how dense is the air? How easy is it to breathe? Around here, when it gets around 89, 90, 94, 95 degrees, you know, heat advisories are issued. Why? Because it's unsafe. It's unsafe to be out in the sun, if, especially if you have a heart condition or you have some lung or pulmonary conditions. How about if it was 120 degrees? 
120 degrees. Uh, temperatures in this climate where Abraham is at reach up to 120 degrees. That's dangerous. And that's why we find Abraham, in his, in, he's sitting at the door of his tent by the oaks of Mamre, I presume probably under the oak trees. That's where I would put my tent, would be under the oak trees. And there he is in the door of his tent, and we're told it's in the heat of the day. I presume it's summertime. I presume that it's, it's probably 2 o'clock in the afternoon approximately when it's just really, really, the heat is really um, pounding down. Verse 2, we're told that Abram lifts up his eyes. Now, maybe many scholars believe perhaps Abraham has gone to sleep. Maybe he's taken a nap. There wouldn't be much else to do. Uh, perhaps he has taken a nap. Uh, conjecture, but I think it's pretty good conjecture. I think it's pretty educated conjecture. He lifts up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men are standing. You see that in, in verse 2 there. Three men are standing in front of him. And here, Abram, if he is, if he is uh, napping, I remind you, I'll remind you that he's 100 years old. Okay, he's an elderly man. And in a napping at, we'll presume, maybe around 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a really hot day. And he sees these three men standing. And we're told that when he saw them, he ran from the tent door. Here we see him springing to action. And he bows himself to the earth, and he said, Oh, Lord. And you see the word Lord in verse 3? Now, what do you notice about that word? It's not all capitalized, but the, the L is capitalized. Uh, here the translators are letting us know that the, the, the Hebrew word Adonai is being translated. Now, Adonai has a range of meaning. It can, mean, it can mean Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. It can, mean the, it can mean the Lord, the sovereign one. It can also mean master or sir. If you look down to verse uh, 12, Sarah laughs to herself. We'll be looking at this verse here in a moment. Um, Sarah laughs to herself and she says, after I'm worn out and my, notice the word Lord there. See the word Lord. Now the L is not capitalized. Nothing is capitalized, right? This is the English translator's way of saying, okay, Sarah is using the word Adonai in the sense of master, sir. She's, it's an expression of respect that Sarah is offering to her husband. There's quite a lesson here, actually, in terms of the home. Sarah is referring to Abram uh, with this gesture of respect, and the New Testament commands her for this, doesn't it? Peter commands her for this. That's a sermon for another day. But nevertheless, back to verse 3. Back to verse 3. Abram is springing into action. He says, O oh Lord. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that Abraham believes he's talking to God. I'm, I'm going to submit at this point, I don't think he does. Uh, I think his actions here, uh, wh wh who does Abraham think he has in front of him? I think uh, that... He has some distinguished individuals in front of him. Abraham is about to practice what is well known by the ancients as Eastern hospitality. And uh, Abram basically in verse 3 begs, doesn't he? It's almost like he's begging them for the privilege of serving them. He says, Oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, don't pass by your servant. 
Uh, I want to, you know, in other words, he's springing to action out of the door of his tent in the heat of the day, and he's saying to them, listen, let me serve you. Let me serve you. And then in verse 4, he says, let a little water be brought. Wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. After that, you may pass on. And it's since you have come to your servant. It's almost as if Abraham sees us, and I think he does. I think he sees us providentially. I think he sees us as his assignment, like we've already prayed for this morning. You know, like a man walking into a restaurant, and there's just something about him. It's like he's a burden on your heart, and you can't get him off your mind. You can't get his circumstances off your mind. I think it's one of these moments where Abraham sees these three visitors uh, providentially, and here he is, he, he's, he's, he's out of his tent, and here he is, and he's desirous to, uh, to serve them. And they say in verse 5, the end, do as you have said. And notice Abraham, how fast he operates. Quickly, he goes into the tent to Sarah. He says, quick, three seahs of fine flour. Now, a seah of flour, some of you will have a footnote. If you look down in the margin, you'll see that a seah was about seven quarts now, um, three seahs would be about 21 quarts of flour. That's more than a morsel of bread, isn't it? Three seahs of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd, took a calf, tender and good, gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. There we see the word quick, quickly. Uh, we see it back three times. Abraham went quickly into the tent, verse 6. He said to Sarah, quickly. Uh, verse 6. And then at the end of verse 6, uh, the young man prepares the calf quickly. You see the inertia. You know, if we're, if we're wanting to make a, a scene, if we're going to put this into a movie, we see everybody operating about as quickly as they can operate here, don't we? This is, and, and also, really, we see something wonderful about Abraham's household here. We see how they're all in cahoots here. They're all on one accord. They're all working. Uh, very quickly to prepare this meal. And in verse 8, Abraham takes curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set it before them, and he stands by them under the tree while they ate. Well, Abraham's like basically standing under the tree, and there he is at their service uh, as, as they eat. Uh, fine, fine service. Now, everything changes in verse 9. Look at look what happens in verse 9. They say to him, Where is Sarah? Your wife. Now, what is so significant about that? I think what's so significant about that is Sarah's name has just been changed from Sarai to Sarah. In fact, it's changed in chapter 17. If you look at verse 15, God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. Now, this has just been revealed, and I'm going to show you in a few minutes that I don't think that these events, the events of 17 and the events of 18, they're happening, I think, within a matter of a couple of weeks from each other. In fact, Abraham is probably still recovering from the surgical procedure of circumcision. In seven, chapter 17, you'll recall, God commands Abraham and his whole household to be circumcised. There's not very much time going past between chapter 17 in chapter 18, I'll show you why that is here in just a few minutes. But here's the question. How is it that these strangers, first of all, know that Abraham's wife is Sarah? Now, it is possible 
that when Abraham went back into the tent and said, listen, quickly, 3C is a fine flower, need it. Maybe he used her name. Maybe he did. I'm not thinking so. I think that this is significant. I think, I, th I really think this passage, this is just me thinking. This is just me thinking. I'm just offering you my thoughts here. I think that when this question is sprung under those trees, when they said, where is Sarah your wife? I think Abraham went like this. Whoa. How do you guys know who my wife is? Furthermore, how do you know her name's Sarah? Now, even if I'm wrong on that, look what happens next. The Lord, notice the word. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, now it's for sure. Who is Abraham talking to? We know that two of these three men who have come to visit him are angels. We know that. We're going to see that when we get to chapter 19. We know two of them are angels. It is a possible interpretation that all three of them are angels because sometimes it can be said when a messenger is sent and a messenger is sent to deliver a message, when that messenger delivers a message, it can be said as if the messenger, as if the sender of the, of the messenger is speaking himself. Fair enough. I don't think that's what's going on here, though. Uh, another, another interpretation of this, and one that I think is correct, who is Abraham speaking to here? He is speaking to none other than the Son of God in pre-incarnated form. Why do I say the Son of God? Because the Father is not the mediator. We were singing a song earlier, the mediator. There's only one God, and we have only one mediator. One mediator between God and man. The Son of God. And that's what we have going on here. I don't think it's the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's the Father. I think it's the Son of God. Abraham is face to face with the Son of God. That's who he's face to face with. And Abraham has already heard this word. If you, if you look back uh, to verse, what verse is it? To um, um, verse 20, 21 of chapter 17. There, as God was speaking with Abraham concerning circumcision, he says in verse 21, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at what? This time next year. You see the, 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 the passage, the, 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 the appearance that's taking place in, in 17 is so close that he can say that this, this, this will happen this time next year. And he says it again in, in, in chapter 18. So we know that these, these two appearances of the Lord are very, they're, they're back to back. Probably uh, maybe only a week or two. We don't know the exact length of time, but they're so close to each other that he can speak loosely and say, this time next, this time next year, this time next year. I, I think it's less than a month is what I think. 
Now, we find out in verse 10 that Sarah is listening at the tent door behind him. She's not visible. And we're told in verse 11 that Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Well, yeah, Sarah's, Sarah's 90 years old. And the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. And verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, this is not the time to go Sarah bashing here. This text is not given to us. I can assure you that the Holy Spirit did not give us this text so we could bash Sarah in a sermon. Sometimes you hear that happening. Uh, no, Let, let's think about this for a minute. Sarah is barren. She has desired to have children all her life. And she is in a culture where barrenness is so scorned. And she has heard the scorn all these years in her father's name, Abraham. Do you know what Abraham means? Exalted father. Can you imagine the jokes that she heard? Here's the exalted father who's childless with his barren wife. Now, a promise is made to her 25 years ago that she's going to bear a son. And here she's, she was well advanced in years. Then. Listen, don't get mad at me. 65 is not young, okay? I don't want anyone to get upset with me. But it's beyond, you got to be careful. It's beyond childbearing, okay? It's beyond childbearing. Um, and here she, you can imagine her hopes getting way up, can't you? And then the years passing by. And those hopes, when they're way up like that and they get dashed, what does that do to a person? I think I could read between the lines. Again, this is conjecture on my part. But I, I bet this was one of those things that they just didn't talk about as a couple. I, I, you know, in, in, in having done, you know, marriage counseling and having done counseling, you know, over the course of I don't know how many years, there are things sometimes that are so painful between couples, that it's one of those things, listen, we just don't talk about that. And here Sarah is, she's prepared the meal, she's tired, it's in the heat of the day, and here she overhears these strangers saying, listen, next year she's going to have a child. And you can almost think, to not that again. Not that again. Now that I'm wore out? Really? And it's certainly an expression of unbelief. We know that because... Here, the Lord is going to take that up with her. The Lord said to Abraham, and notice it's interesting that the Lord doesn't say this to Sarah. He says it to Abraham. Uh, here, the Lord is respecting the authority structure of the family, isn't he? He says to Abraham, he says, listen, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to your house about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. He reiterates that again. And basically, then what's Sarah doing? Sarah's doing what we all do. She's looking at her 90-year-old frame, and she's saying to herself, 90-year-olds don't have children. I, we just can't have children. And she's limiting the power of God based on what her eyes and experience tell her. Let's not go Sarah bashing when there's not an innocent person in this room and hasn't done that. We all do that. This is given to us for our instruction, isn't it? We all do that. And besides, the Lord isn't bashing her. 
The Lord is not big. We're going to see in a few minutes, far from that. Far from that. Now, verse 15, Sarah, Sarah lies. She denies it. Why does she lie? We're told very clearly why she lies. She's afraid. She's afraid. That's why she lied. She's afraid. I don't say that to make light of the, of the lie, but let's come on. Let's have some compassion. She, she's afraid. And she says, no, I didn't laugh. She was laughing to herself. She wasn't laughing audibly. She was saying these things to herself. No one could hear her. No one heard her do this. But the Lord knows our thoughts, doesn't he? He knows every thought. And the Lord says, no, Sarah, you, you did laugh. And that settled it. There's no more argument about it. What's going on here? What, what's going on here? First thing that we see that's going on here, especially if we want to try the best we can to look at this from the vantage point of the Lord, and that's the way I think we ought to always try to look at these stories. What's going on here? Here, first and more, we see that God is an intimate God. He is an intimate God. He is an intimate God. He knows, here we see He knows our hidden thoughts. And let's think about that for a moment. Not only does He know our hidden thoughts, He knows our hidden dreams. He knows those hidden sins. You know, the things we don't want anyone to know about ourselves, God knows them. He knows our hopes. He knows the pain that we experience when our hopes have been dashed. But He chooses to be a friend of sinners. He chooses to be a friend of those whom He came to save. Do you know, it's significant that these three visitors eat with Abraham. Sharing a meal transculturally is an expression of intimacy. Tammy and I were invited to the home of one of the elders of the first EP across the river. I've been preaching over there a good bit uh, because they've been without a pastor for eight months. In fact, I really wanted, when I first learned that their pastor retired, I really wanted to offer my service every Sunday night there. Tammy, she was right. It's just it's too much for me. But I really wanted to do it because it's so hard on a congregation to not have a, just, a, just the same person week in and week out. It's so hard on a congregation. But one of the, one of the elders over there invited Tammy and I to, um, to uh, their home for a meal and Friday. It was, it was just a wonderful time. Uh, they had built the home themselves, and he is a woodworker, and he just does extraordinary work and showed us all his cabinetry and his shop and everything. And, and I, we've known them, you know, for quite some time, but we've never been in their home. We've never enjoyed a meal together. There's something intimate, isn't there, about enjoying a meal together. That's why we're inviting everybody to come back this morning, because there's, there's something intimate about it. God, God, he... he he enjoys a meal with Abraham. And no less than three times, no less than three times, the Scriptures refer to Abraham as God's friend. In Isaiah 41, verse 8, I think it's verse 8, the Lord Himself refers to Abraham as my friend. In our Scripture memory verse, I chose it. Uh, James says that Abraham was called the what? the friend of God. Our God is an intimate God. He calls us friends. And love knows no greater than this, that one lays down his life for what? 
his friends. So our God is an intimate God. He's also a physician of the soul. This isn't about bashing Sarah. This is about healing Sarah. You hear sermons on this, and we bash in Sarah, and don't be like Sarah. And just look at this unbelief. This isn't about bashing her. It's about healing her. God comes in Genesis 17 to Abraham with, the, with circumcision, and He speaks to Abraham. In Genesis 18, He's coming to Sarah. He's getting ready to do this thing. But there's, there's some matters in Sarah's heart that need healing. There's some things going on in Sarah's heart that God has to work with first before this promise comes to fruition. Just like every single one of us, myself included, when we come in here this morning, there are things in our hearts that aren't right. And God doesn't bash us for those things. He brings them to the surface, not to, not, not to give us a whipping at a whipping post, but He brings them to the surface to give us healing. That's what's happening here with Sarah. He's giving her healing. It's so beautiful and it just wets your eyes with tears, does it not? That he brings this to the surface for her. In, in, in the, the, the privacy of this tent. Thirdly, God comes to serve. You know, a lot of the older messages that I've read on this passage, I like to go to the older preachers and lead, read the older preachers. And when I mean by older preachers, I'm talking about guys who've like preached centuries ago in some cases. Um, and a lot of times, a lot is made out of the hospitality here. And, and I was going to touch on that this morning. I'm not going to. We'll save it for another day. But here we see Abraham offering this hospitality to the Lord. But here's the thing. Abraham is serving these three visitors here. But God serves Abraham far more than Abraham serves God. As disciples in Christ, we're called to serve, aren't we? We're called to serve God. But you know something? Our God serves us far greater than we will ever serve Him. One detail. Let me show you one detail. Verse 4. Notice that, a, that Abraham says a little water. He brings them a little bit of water so that they could what? Wash their feet. They traveled in sandals in the hot climates, sand and dust. You can only imagine what these feet look like. And it was a really lowly task to wash the feet. Abraham doesn't condescend to that, but he brings the water so that they can wash their own feet. Now, I'm already reminding you of something that takes place in the New Testament, aren't I? What does Jesus do? Who's present here? He's present here. Water was given to Jesus so he could wash his own feet. But Jesus took a bowl, a basin. And he put, you could almost see him carrying it in, in, a, in a towel over his shoulder in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed, just before he would go to the cross. And he, he washes his disciples' feet. And when he goes to the cross, he steps in our place. And with his very own blood, he washes our souls, doesn't he? All of that filth, this unbelief that that's being sifted to the top in Sarah's life, and the unbelief maybe that's being sifted to the top 
of your own heart right now, maybe even as I speak. If it's not this Sunday, it'll be next Sunday. It'll be sometime. Don't be scared. The Lord will do it. But Jesus, Jesus serves us in the respect that as that gets sifted to the top, we confess it. It's taken away, isn't it? It's cleansed. It's taken away. Jesus washes our souls on the cross in protection. Abraham's calling them out of there. Why? What is Abraham doing? He sees these three strangers. It's we're, we're guessing it's, it could be an upwards of 120 degrees outside. Abraham wants them under those trees. What's he trying to do? He's trying to protect them. What does Jesus do? Jesus says to us, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest for your souls. He serves us far better than we'll ever serve Him. And I'm going to leave you one last thing that I so appreciate about this text. Abraham didn't write this. Moses wrote this. And notice the detail that Moses goes into. Moses makes it sure that we know that Abraham, even though he's elderly and it's the heat of the day, he ran to these, to these visitors. He ran to them. And he basically begged them for the privilege of serving them. And then he threw on a feast, didn't he? All these details about the feast. You, 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 I've been reading these and I've been, I've, been, I've been wrestling over this passage for some time thinking, what am I going to do with this passage? And you see all these details. And I'm trying to, what are all these details got to do with this? Why all the details? Why do we need to know that, that 3C is a fine flower uh, was given. God doesn't babble. He gives us these details for a reason. What is up with this? I'll tell you what I think is up with this. God appreciates everything we do for Him. He, Moses writes it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, listen, I want all of these details I want everyone who reads this passage to know what Abraham has done for me. Doesn't that, doesn't that make you want to serve the Lord? To know that he, nothing we do, no matter how mundane it might seem to us, it doesn't escape his notice. It doesn't escape his notice. Amen? So God is an intimate God. He's a physician of the soul. He comes to serve. He serves us more than we ever serve him. And he appreciates everything that we do for him. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this great chapter. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the, the truths that we have in this chapter. Father, we thank you so very much for the, the, the strange warming of our hearts that we experience as we, as we dig into this chapter, Father, as we see that everything that's going on, we see your care, your intimacy. To think that we've been brought into the same, Father, is, is really absolutely wonderful and perhaps even overwhelming to us, Father. We we thank you, Lord, that you never bring our sin to the fore in order to bash us, but, Father, you bring it to the fore to give us healing. And, Father, you've come to, you've served us, Father. You appreciate everything we do for you, O oh Lord. We could go on and point out many other things. Thank you, O oh Lord. We thank you and praise you, O oh Father, for meeting us this way. And, oh Lord, we give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.